Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of FedHeads, and I am consistently amazed that returning uh, to join us is Stan Soloway. Stan, thanks for coming back. I'm just doing it for the money, Robert. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I must not have gotten that memo. A better agent than you do. Stan, you've got as much experience running associations as anyone, and we're joined this week by Gordon Bitko. He's Senior VP for Policy at the Information Technology Industry Council, or ITI. Gordon, thanks for being with us. Robert, great to be here. And Stan, maybe you and I can have a talk about your agent in financial terms after we're done with the chat today. Happy to do it. Anything. Take advantage of Robert. Good by me. Gordon, Stan could bore us with the uh, herding of cats that involved running the Professional Services Council. Why don't you give us some insights into ITI, its member organizations, and, and how you serve them? Yeah, thanks for the question, Robert. ITI represents 80 of the largest technology companies. They're all the names of companies that, that everybody's heard of and is, is familiar with. Our goal in supporting them is how to encourage and drive innovation across all the many policy issues that, that we all deal with all the time. That runs the full spectrum of things. My particular domain is what we refer to as the public sector. So that's doing business with the government. How do we make it easier to do business with the government? How do we help remove a lot of the friction that exists for many of our member companies to sell products and services that the government needs. So that's really what, what we focus on within my domain in ITI. So we have similar DNA in the sense that this is a world all three of us have been living in for a long time. One of the things that strikes me is, and, and I'm going to pull you kind of quickly into a discussion of some legislation that's on the Hill, but I think about the National Defense Authorization Act in particular. I keep hearing on one side of the table from folks who are saying, oh, but Congress is getting really frustrated with the Defense Department, its inability to innovate. They're going to pull all of these authorities away. And then Congress turns around and adds to the authorities. So I get the sense that Congress is still like really a cheerleader for DOD and that maybe the department doesn't realize how much support they actually have on the Hill. Do you see it the same way? Yes, yeah, Dan, I, I think, you know, one of the conversations that we've had uh, regularly is that DOD has been given lots of great authorities to do all sorts of innovative things. And really, what's going to be most useful for Congress is to figure out, are they using those effectively? So, so they absolutely have been supportive. They do keep coming back and asking, what more do we need to do? And really, we look at it as what can they do to ensure that the authorities have been given to do things like OTAs, for example, other transaction authorities? How do we make sure that the department's doing those effectively and not in sort of traditional government bureaucratic fashion coming up with 20 different ways to, to skin the cat and having the Army, the Navy, the Air Force all all do the same thing, but do it differently. And that, that's really a huge challenge from an industry standpoint, as you guys know. It's funny you'd mentioned, I did a, a paper last summer, uh, a major research paper on OTAs, and uh, we briefed the Hill staff while we were doing the paper and then when we finished it. But to your point, if you want to look at outcomes or outputs or however you want to define it, there are a lot of OTAs out there, they're using the authority, but we're not getting what we wanted, which is to transition these capabilities into full production and scale them because of the bureaucracy tending to come back in and layer the traditional bureaucratic FAR-based requirements on production contracts. So that's a discussion that 
we've had with the Hill, I haven't seen a lot yet coming back from it, but I suspect they're going to be asking DOD a lot of questions about that. We've definitely had a similar conversation with them about what are the things that you can do? Can you put report language in? Can you do the sort of things that allow you as overseers to ensure, like you said, that we can cross that valley of death from the, hey, this is a great idea. We built a fabulous prototype. How do we translate that into something that supports the entire DOD workforce that gets all the warfighters, the technology that they need at the speed that they need it? And, and clearly today the answer is in general, no. There are undoubtedly some individual great examples, but the, the DOD government bureaucracy, that DNA kicks in and the 20 or 30,000 procurement officers all have their own spin on everything. And the result is that it makes it very difficult to use those things effectively. I'm not sure we've had the valley of death metaphor to describe the gap between pilot and production on FedHead. So congratulations, Gordon, for filling that gap. Uh, that's what you brought me on for. Right? Yeah. So th that's one big issue you're, you're following. Stan sits on the Defense Business Board, so I know that's a particular interest to him. Are there other big issues that the IT industry is tracking, either in Congress or uh, in the agencies, uh, that are a particular priority? For sure. Two really important ones, and, and they are related, are cybersecurity and, and supply chain issues. Cybersecurity, everybody gets its priority. The problem is it's a priority for everybody. That means that we get different legislation, we get different regulatory approaches, and it becomes very complicated and expensive, as, as, as you guys both know. To figure out how to do business effectively across all the different entities when you have so many different requirements and so many different stakeholders. 100% everybody is on board with the importance. It's how do we do it effectively? How do we think about risk smartly? And how do we implement those sorts of controls? So that's a, that's a priority focus for everybody. And then as I mentioned as well, Robert, supply chain issues are, are equally important. And, and cybersecurity, obviously closely bundled is an important aspect of that, but the broader supply chain risk issues, how do we think about delivering the capabilities smartly and efficiently and effectively? And, and you can tie into that things like, like Made in America, Buy America requirements to, to the question about are we, are we able to deliver capabilities that the government knows it needs and to do them efficiently, to do them effectively. Yeah, so we've got a major supply chain issue, a lot of legislation enacted to help fix it. You mentioned Buy America. That's both a fix and a, and a barrier to addressing the issue. Talk about Buy America. You know, we all think it makes perfect sense that our first choice for uh, procuring stuff ought to be right here in the good old United States. We also ought to avoid buying it from hostile states that might seek to do us harm. But you're talking about nav navigating a labyrinth uh, on top of a bureaucracy that must be really challenging for your clients. Yeah, I think there isn't a, an easy answer to that question, but it's, it's absolutely one everybody's interested in. Just to give an example around Buy America, a lot of where we're focused right now is what's the waiver process going to be for all the individual agencies because they've all recognized they can't necessarily comply immediately with the domestic content requirements, the need to raise the what's sourced here in the U.S., so they need a waiver process. How are they going to go about doing that? And then because a lot of what they're doing is providing grants to state or local agencies, things like transportation, or, or those are big recipients. What's the guidance to states? What's the guidance to local transportation agencies 
who need to request those grants and who can only do it if they put it in the right language to say we need a waiver because we know the technology behind this next generation electric vehicle system that we want to put in to support our buses. A significant percentage of the highest quality content, it's, it's made by good, trustworthy, reliable companies, but it's manufactured globally. And to say it's got to all be made here in the U.S. is going to diminish the, the bang for the buck that we're going to get. And so that's the sort of issue that we're, we're struggling to figure out exactly what the right approach is there. Yeah, and I think that, that it's a great example of how so buy America or made in America versus supply chain are actually, they tend to be conflated in a lot of discussions, but they're actually very different issues. I think about supply chain commercially and what you see a lot commercially now is, you know, this idea of onshoring everything is completely unrealistic. We're not going to recapitalize or capitalize entirely new industries or old industries to, to, to get the content. But the commercial world is going to much more of a regional, you hear a lot more about regionalization of the supply chain, going away from a global supply chain. You already see companies moving out of the Far East and starting to move facilities to Central and South America as one example. So there's a little bit more geographic co-location, but it's not like I'm creating the, the capability in the United States. Then you've got the Buy America, which which sets some uh, some some conflicting sort of goals there, I think. so. There's, there's going to have to be a degree of reality, and unfortunately, it tends to get caught up in, on both sides of the island, sort of a lot of political rhetoric without sitting back and what's realistic, what's possible, what's cost effective. And like you said, yeah. there are some very good companies making this stuff. They're not going to make it in Connecticut. They're going to make it in South America or Central America or wherever, and that may be okay. It's not China. It's not, if you will. So it's yeah, yeah, certainly from a risk perspective, Stan, we tend to look at it as allied countries, like-minded countries. The, the risk there is, is much less than it is in hostile countries. And that's gotta be part of the calculus that goes into this. Another key part that you mentioned, especially Stan, when we get into Buy America is, is the workforce aspect of it, right? The, the practical challenge of finding a skilled and empowered and capable workforce. If we were to decide magically that we were gonna reshore all these things to the US is an incredible challenge. We, the industry have gone to where there's a comparative advantage and built up workforces in various places that has happened over a long period of time. And that's not gonna be reversed overnight. Mm -hmm. And and so, so while it might make sense from a risk standpoint to say we can do or should do some things here in the US and the CHIPS Act is a great example of that, Commerce and others have to follow through on the workforce parts of that. They have to ensure that we that we train workers in the places where we want to invest to make to make sure that those facilities that are going to get built out of the Chips Act are, are going to be successful. You, it's you, not enough to just give the money and say we're good. You mentioned a couple of bills. The Congress also has on its plate the National Defense Authorization Act, a full year appropriation. That was that was me knocking on wood. What are you tracking in those that's uh, that's of interest to your members? Yeah, I don't know if you knocked on the wood hard enough there. I have a, a standing bet every year with with uh, a couple of our, our government affairs folks on the NDA and whether it's going to be passed on time and whether there's going to be an appropriation for the full year or whether who, we're going to... Who bets on it being passed on time? The GR folks are always overly optimistic and I'm <laughs> always the winner of the bet. <laughs> so as a DOD guy, let me just say that, that on time for the NDAA simply means that they get it done, hopefully before a final appropriations bill is passed. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the goal. Yeah, but but you also, uh, you know, without being the cynic and all this, the, the downside consequence, and Robert, I'll come back to your, to your question in a second, but the, the downside consequence to the inability of Congress to get things done in a, an actual more predictable manner to agencies' ability to actually plan and, and execute is, 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 a, is a huge thing, right? And, 
And, you know, when I was in the government and we sat there in, in the FBI at the beginning of the year and said, we're on a CR now and we can't do anything new. And then halfway through the year, all of a sudden you get your full budget or your full budget plus something more than what you expected. And now you've got six months to figure out how to spend it. You know for sure that that's not being done in anywhere near as efficient a way as as it should be, right? And 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 the cost to that is is um, pretty monumental. Mm -hmm. uh, so so going back, you know, the NDAA, unfortunately, because it's one of the few things that does is somewhat predictable that Congress is going to going to take action on it. It ends up being a hodgepodge of all sorts of different things, right? There isn't. There isn't always a consistent theme of, of particular items in it, um, but we are paying particular attention. There is there is some language in there about cybersecurity again that I know we touched on that already, but that we think is potentially uh, quite important and impactful to understanding what the what the translation is of DoD cybersecurity policy to the industrial base, right? And that's sort of the real the real driving impetus for our members is understanding DoD's plan, which is. As, as both of you know, I'm sure evolved a lot over the last few years and continues to evolve. And there continues to be a lot of questions about are they putting the right resources in place? They last year realigned it internally within DOD. And so the NDA has got some reporting language and some questions in there about is, uh, is DOD doing that effectively? And that's, a, that's an important piece of the legislation for us, for sure. Well, we're likely to face a, a divided government in, in a few months. Republicans predicted to take control of the House, Senate, a little tougher call. What, mm -hmm. what, what does a divided government mean for ITI and your member companies? Um, is that good for them? Does it, does it slow some activity that they might find that negatively impact them? What are you all looking forward to? Yeah, great question, Robert. And I'll caveat this by saying I'm I'm not a political prognosticator and so uh, what you said seems to be the direction that look, the elections look, are going. You were at FBI so, and you're just yeah. lucky I haven't brought up Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Uh, so count your blessings. Count your blessings. My microphone would suddenly have a have to uh, you know have a tragic accident at that moment. Um, <laughs> I I think you know one of the observations that we've had that we've been training this way for a long time and and a an increase in it is going to happen if there's a divided Congress. And that's more and more action happening as regulatory matters out of the administration uh, rather than coming coming out of Congress. And an example of that is the executive orders on sustainability that the administration's been, been pushing. They've had three or four of them focused on holding themselves accountable, holding companies that they do business accountable through disclosures of greenhouse gas emissions, and trying to spend a lot of effort figuring out how to implement all of that. I think that there will be even more of that. The administration pro probably realizes that it's going to be heading into heavy seas in terms of any new action. But if it's a divided Congress, we're unlikely to see too much in the way of definitive policy across the board. And so I think it will be more and more in the, in the vein of regulatory action like that. We've had some discussions with OMB and and with others where we know that they are moving forward on federal acquisition regulations around climate change, around sustainability, around, like I said, greenhouse gas. And that'll be a, a matter of emphasis for our member companies because a lot of the government's contribution to sustainability, to environmental impact comes from technology. It comes from data centers. It comes from 
buying and using computers and deploying more and more operational technology. So we, we expect to see more and more of that. I'm thinking and processing through everything you said. I guess if the prediction that you and your colleagues, and I would share your prediction about what's likely to happen in, in November, I think we could be in for some pretty rough 20 plus months of almost nothing of substance getting done on the Hill and just just the howitzers opening up both ways and uh, it, it it could be a really uncomfortable period and i'm just from a government management perspective you made the point congress unfortunately never really focuses on or cares too much about what it takes to manage a federal agency stan has really been the sunshine uh here I, at fed heads I, during his I, tenure as guest host I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself out of a job i'm sure but, <laughs> But, you you know, might I have to take a, talk to your agent about taking a cut, I'm, uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he, he got me a pretty good deal. Robert just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Gordon, we really appreciate your insights. Appreciate what you do for the IT industry, opening doors and offering a voice for them to express really how to get business done in a way that, that helps them and, and helps the government. Because uh, the government buys more IT than anyone else on the planet. And making sure it's done efficiently and effectively is a sound mission, and, and, and we appreciate your service in that regard. Robert, thanks. It's great to have had a chance to come talk with you guys. Thank you. Have Jordan, a great day. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.